1: That you want to live an inspired and fulfilling life. Maybe there are a few things that you need to get you there. Welcome to What Matters with your host, Mary Beth Lodge. In today's world of distractions, we can get overwhelmed with day to day responsibilities that keep us busy, frustrated, and confused. With an emphasis on the power of the mind and drawing on the fields of personal health, education, neuroscience, business, and spirituality, We'll discuss practical strategies to help you stay focused on your priorities, choices, and results. Now, here is Mary Beth Lodge.
0: Good morning. How are you today? Thank you for joining me today on What Matters. Today, I'm going to challenge you to make a difference. Can you do that? Can you find a way to make a positive difference in your world today? Can you make a change within yourself that will carry ripples of positive change into the lives of those around you and well beyond. You know, I've had some pretty incredible experiences yesterday in my work, and I'll share more about that later, but I met with a man yesterday who has totally withdrawn from his world because he's sure that he doesn't make a difference. And it was interesting because I know the other members of the family – um, I know his world where he works, and he does make a difference, but it's not positive. So that's what I'm asking for you today. How are you making a difference? And is that difference that you make a positive one? Because everything that you do matters. <clears throat> so today, I want you to listen for yourself. I don't want you to think about anyone else else. As you're listening to the information today, I want you to think about you. Not your significant other, your best friend, your child, your parent, or your coworker. Just you. Because you are the person that you change. You are the person that you have responsibility for. And you are the person that does truly make a difference. And yes, we're busy. We're all busy. I lead busy lives. You lead busy lives. We all lead busy lives. And busy sometimes means we're distracted. We're not paying attention to the things that are important. We're not paying attention to how we make a difference. So I want you again to take time and think about how you get distracted, how you avoid focusing on the things that are important, or the excuses that you tell yourself as to why you can't do something. It's always about time, isn't it? We always tell ourselves we don't have the time for that. There aren't any minutes in my day. And I use that same excuse. I'm not preaching anything that I don't also do. I use that same excuse. But when it comes right down to it, I want to focus on the things that really matter. So what are the choices that you make in your world? When you decide how you're going to spend your time, do you think about the impact that that decision will make? How do you touch the lives of the people you meet? Do you create sunshine wherever you are? This morning, it is a very gray day in my part of the world. There won't be any sunshine for several days. Now, we had sunshine yesterday, and yes, everybody was in a brighter mood, except for that one gentleman. And that's an easy way to lift our spirits. But some days, we have to make our own sunshine, and we have to be the sunshine in our world. So how do you make sunshine in your world? Have you thought about the things you're grateful for this morning? You know I was thinking about all of the things that I'm grateful for because I have a very happy cat who greets the day with open arms and just loves everyone and everything in his world. And so it's really easy for me to start out in that loving mood because he's right there touching my life. You know I am so grateful for the little things that are just the sensual pleasures. You know, the aroma of good food cooking on the stove, clothes that are warm from the dryer, the sound of gentle music, or even the nighttime sounds, which I enjoy so much better. And I'm also grateful for hard work. I had... A day yesterday of many challenging clients. At no point did I have an easy session yesterday. And I loved it. I loved the hard work. I loved having to stay on top of my game all day long. I loved having to switch gears from one person to the next because the diversity of things that came through my door yesterday was all over the place. But I loved that at the end of the day, I was tired and I'd had a long day. But you know, the stimulation, the intellectual stimulation of having to stay on top of and attend to many, many different types of issues with many of the different skills that I have was really an empowering and rewarding day. And I am grateful for that. And I'm also grateful, as I said, for my cats. Yeah, I have a happy cat, but I have an incredible cat story for you. I just have to share it. If you're not a cat person, I'm really sorry. But, you know, think of it in terms of dogs, too. So I have three young cats. They are maybe three years and two years or two years and one year. I don't know. I lose track of time when I'm raising stray kittens. But they've been raised together in the same household. I have two males and a female. The young female is just over a year old. She's been spayed. She doesn't really need much of anything. She goes her own way. They're allowed to go outside for short periods of time, usually under supervision. We also, in the outside, I co-manage a feral and stray cat colony, and we have one very mean, um, ill-mannered, feral male cat who comes to the yard and causes trouble. Now, my young female cat was outside, exploring as she does most days, and the feral male came into the yard and pinned her, and she was actually not in my yard, she was next door, pinned her against the fence, the privacy fence. She let out a screech, and the two young male cats, her big brothers, came from two different parts of the yard, flew over the fence, jumped down and positioned themselves in front of her, and between her and the feral cat. And kind of did the, you know, big brother rescue thing. You know, you want a piece of her, you got to go through us first. And the feral cat decided that he'd wait for a better day and skulked off. It didn't stop there. They walked her home, brought her to the back door, and took her inside. Now, I don't know if cats do that all the time. I just thought it was very sweet that these two male cats again, without any communication between them, came to her rescue, just like big brothers do. And it just made me smile, and I appreciate things that make me smile. So this morning, I want to talk about uh, those kinds of things that we can do to change our brain. Now, I talk about the brain all the time, and you know I am just fascinated with the brain brain. And I found this publication recently. It's on the the stands right now. It's the National Geographic. It's a special edition on your brain. And it just says it's a, a hundred things you never knew. And while I can appreciate that there are some things in there we didn't know, there are some things that probably we do know. But I want to talk about some of the myths we have about our brain and also some of the truths that we now know about our brain. And the first myth I want to talk about Myth number one is that statement that we hear all the time. We only use 10% of our brain. Okay, that's not true. We use all of our brain, our physical structure of our brain. If we didn't, we either wouldn't be able to move our hand or our toe or we wouldn't be able to breathe. We use all of our brain. The truth is that we have... Almost an infinite, at this point, our understanding is that we do have an infinite capacity for learning and that we don't utilize as much of our potential as we could. That's the part where we get that 10%. Now, I don't know that that 10% is accurate. It depends on how much you challenge your brain and how much you choose to learn. You see, if you decided that once you got out of whatever education you were in, that you didn't have to learn anymore, well, you're probably not using as much of your brain as you could. But if you continue to challenge yourself to learn new things, and I'm not talking about always going to school, but I'm talking about always learning, whether that's by reading or studying or practicing a new skill, learning something different than what you've always done, that allows you to utilize the incredible capacity that you have for learning, and that, that, the learning that you do keeps your brain healthy. I want to read you a quote out of this publication. It's on page 11 of the National Geographic Special Publication on your brain, and the quote is, the brain is what makes you, you. But it's a paradox that the organ that lets you understand the world understands so little about itself. In this corrugated mass, a staggeringly complex symphony of electrochemical reactions plays out every second of every day. Much of it does so without a conscious conductor. Beyond the work the brain does automatically comes something far different. Out of the human brain arises consciousness and the mind, the unique ability to be aware of being aware. And that's the amazing thing about our brain. Do you see? We have the capacity to know that we are knowing. We have the capacity to think about thinking. We haven't demonstrated that that happens in any other species yet it may we may not know but we have that ability for consciousness for being aware and yet so few of us take advantage of that so many people operate unconsciously not thinking okay so here truth number one One one-fifth of your blood is devoted to supplying your brain with nutrients and oxygen. The 80 20 rule applies even in the human body. You know, 20% of your effort will result in, will give you 80% of your results. Well, 20% of your blood is going to your brain. And that's why when we talk about exercise as being so crucial to brain health, it's because exercise circulates your blood through your brain. And if one-fifth of your blood is required for your brain, it's very, very important that you get enough circulation to pump that blood to your brain so that it stays healthy and active and your mind is sharp. The basic fuels of every brain cell are oxygen and glucose, and those are only carried through your blood. Okay, truth number two. The human brain contains about a 100 billion neurons. Neurons are nerve cells. And those neurons are linked in so many complicated ways that it has literally trillions of connections. These are things that are really hard for us to comprehend. Yet, the number of neurons that you have at birth are as many as you will have. You don't create new nerve cells. You create new pathways, new connections, and it's the connections that demonstrate the evidence of how much you've learned. So when we talk about learning and the capacity of the the brain for learning, we're talking about the ability of the brain to transfer information across the gap between each nerve cell. You see, they're not connected or linked, physically, there's a little bit of a gap or a space between each nerve cell. And the communication that goes from one nerve cell to another is both an electrical charge and a chemical messenger. If you have insufficient chemical messenger, it's called a neurotransmitter, or if you have an inadequate electrical charge, it results in the failure of the message to transfer to the next cell. That's where we get that foggy thinking from. That's where we get depression from. That's where we get so many of the brain injuries or the brain illnesses when the brain doesn't have enough of that neurotransmitter. The thing that I want you to be aware of is that we have this thinking part of our brain, and 75% of our total nerve cells, our total neurons, are in the cerebral cortex, the advanced upper part of the brain that performs functions like reasoning, creativity, and language. So we're going to keep talking about this when we, after we take a break. You're listening to the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned.
1: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Are you ready to make a change in your life? Would you like to discover the hidden obstacles to your success? Mary Beth Lodge is a certified life coach with a proven track record of guiding others to success. Drawing on mind-body techniques and concepts of neuroscience, Mary Beth will design a program specific to your goals, lifestyle, and personality. You'll develop a specific action plan to follow. You'll learn practical and easy strategies to move through your obstacles and reach your goals To be a part of our discussion on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to marybethlodge at gmail.com. Now back to What Matters.
0: Good morning, and thank you for joining me this morning. We're talking about the brain and the facts and the myths about how the brain functions and what it means to us. I mean, it's nice to know about your brain, but so what? Well, I'll tell you so what. If you understand how your brain works, you can use it to your benefit and the benefit of the people around you. Okay, so back to the physical structure of the brain. 75% of our nerve cells are in that upper advanced part of the brain, the part that performs reasoning, creativity, the use of language, and that part of the brain is continuously relearning and rewiring. In other words, those connections between nerve cells are continuing to change every second. And it can change actually in a fraction of a second. So every moment, your brain is already different from the previous moment. Now, perhaps you know this, or perhaps you don't. Number three. People who regularly practice meditation can change their brain waves. Brain waves are the electrical patterns of communication between neurons. We can actually measure those. It's with a a piece of equipment called an EEG, an electroencephalogram. And those, those waves show us the rhythmic patterns of electrical impulses that are occurring in the brain. And it actually changes depending on what our level of consciousness is at the time. If we're asleep, there is a very predictable pattern of electrical um, impulses happening in the brain. If we're awake and alert and having a conversation, that pattern is different than when we're staring at a TV or when we're in REM sleep and dreaming. So there are different wave patterns in meditation, people that can that meditate very regularly can actually change those brain wave patterns. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you're asleep, your brain is still working. There's still a pattern of electrical impulses happening even when you think nothing's happening and you're sound asleep. And that's really important to recognize because the brain still needs that time, that time when you're asleep to do certain functions. We don't even know all the functions that the brain does when you're asleep. We just know what happens to people when they don't sleep. Okay, so do you remember, this is a fun one. Do you remember several years ago, there was a letter that was um, being transferred around on the Internet and supposedly it was um, a, a thing from Cambridge University, and it was a message that was scrambled words, and it said that it doesn't matter what order the letters are in as long as the first and last letters are in the right place, that the brain doesn't need the words to be spelled correctly. The brain can figure it out as long as you put the first letter and the last letter in the right place, scramble the rest of the, the letters in between, and you're fine. Well, when it finally did circulate back to Cambridge University, they denounced it as a fraud. Now, it was an interesting fraud, but it actually was a hoax. You see, the brain doesn't use the order of letters. That's true. But the brain actually uses things like shapes, are you interested in that? The shape of the word is what our brain recognizes. Also, the groupings of letters and context. And the brain uses in- inference, so it will, will look between words to infer a meaning. The hoax text that is circulated on the Internet actually had several words that were not scrambled. And you didn't notice that as you read it because your brain was reading those words. And the other words that were scrambled, because there were words that were not scrambled, those could be inferred from the context. So we actually do use context as a way of deciphering the meaning in something when it is scrambled. If you truly saw... Um, a text that had only the first and last letters and the words were relatively long and they were fully scrambled, you would not be able to pick that up just from first and last letters. So that one, it's a myth. It was a hoax. Okay, so truth number four, exercise. That's exercise your brain. See, In exercising the brain, we're not talking just about physical exercise. That's very, very important. But we're also talking about practice. You see, we know if you're learning something new that you have to practice it. Okay, That you have to do it over and over and over again until it becomes automatic, until you develop a very, very strong (laughs) nerve pathway. And in that strong nerve pathway you become more fluent, more proficient as you develop a very strong network of of nerve pathways. But if you don't use something that you know, the brain will begin to prune back those nerve pathways. And so it's that use it or lose it. If you studied French in high school and 30 years later you're not using in French, you probably won't have as much proficiency in French as you had back then. So there's still a structure, there's still some things, but in order to become fluent again, you would have to practice and you would have to kind of reactivate and regenerate those nerve pathways. So for you to keep a healthy brain, it requires both physical and mental exercise. So here's the step to take. Yep, you got to do some kind of cardiovascular workout. Now, it doesn't matter what it is. Do you understand? It doesn't have to be exertion to the point of exhaustion. It just has to be sufficient activity, movement, that gets your blood circulating to your brain. Your brain uses 20% of the body's total oxygen and glucose. That's its nourishment. You've got to get it there. Activity, exercise, also helps the brain release some of those neurotransmitters, those neurochemicals, and produce more of them. Listening to classical music. Now, I know if you're not a fan of classical music, this isn't going to make any sense to you. But there is, there are a lot of studies out there about classical music and brain and learning. I can't explain it. I don't understand the research well enough to be able to share that with you, but it has to do with the complex musical patterns that stimulate neuronal pathways. And we've heard it before. I'm going to say it now. Mental puzzles. Those puzzles, and I'm I'm not talking about the ones that are like mind-deadening, okay, that you do the same thing over and over and over again. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about mental puzzles that require memory, that require calculation, that require logic and reasoning spatial relationships, use of language, or use of strategy. Those mental puzzles do actually enhance your brain's power. And there are studies out there that show that to be true and show that that effect lasts for several months after You've been doing that. So even if you stopped doing those puzzles, you would still have a positive benefit for about three to four months following using your brain in that way. So it's okay to use those those games as long as they are games that are mentally challenging. And then there's nu- nutrition. Again, you've got to have an adequate and healthy diet with lots of good nutrients, specifically the brain nutrients. Worked into your diet so that your brain is well nourished. Truth number five Memories are more likely to remain accessible when information is combined with emotion, especially strong emotion. The complexity of emotional processing is not a single pathway. The way we create and experience emotions involves many different parts of our brain and n- many, many different pathways. The negative emotions actually are more associated with the right hemisphere of the brain. You remember, the right hemisphere is that global, creative, um, very visual side of our brain. And the positive emotions appear in the left hemisphere. So in other words, in a brain scan, if we have someone experiencing positive emotions, the left side of the brain will light up. We know this when we see damage, uh, people who have strokes. If there's damage to the left hemisphere of the brain, we see more depression and even uncontrollable crying. If there's damage to the right hemisphere, we see more positive emotions emerge. Now, I find this very, very interesting, and it's, you know, it's a question that I didn't find answered as I was looking through this particular book and other research that I was um, studying. You know, many times we hear about the highly creative people, the artists who are plagued with depression or that experience bouts of um, mania and then depression. They have some mood disorder. They have some, um, some mental challenge, mood challenge, but yet they're highly, highly creative. And yet we know that creativity is fostered in the right hemisphere of the brain. And is it possible? It's just speculation on my part that there's some association between accessing that high creativity and also that sometimes that's associated with more depressive feelings because that right brain is being expanded more, is utilized more. We have a balance that we need to attain between both hemispheres. And it's in that that we begin to have a balancing of mood, an evenness of mood. I like to consider, you know, how do we achieve happiness? Have you thought about that? What is happiness? See, I think there's all kinds of different definitions for happiness. But if we consider that we have the power, if we understand our brain, we have the power to create happiness by understanding what our brain is. Needs for happiness and how to utilize it. I'm going to talk more about that when we come back from break. You're listening to the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today, powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network.
1: Are you ready to make a change in your life? Would you like to discover the hidden obstacles to your success? Mary Beth Lodge is a certified life coach with a proven track record of guiding others to success. Drawing on mind-body techniques and concepts of neuroscience, Mary Beth will design a program specific to your goals, lifestyle, and personality. You'll develop a specific action plan to follow. You'll learn practical and easy strategies to move through your obstacles and reach your goals Visit LastingLifestyleChange.com to request more information or a free consultation. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to What Matters with Mary Beth Lodge. To be a part of our discussion on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to marybethlodge at gmail.com. Now, back to What Matters.
0: Good morning. Thank you for joining me this morning on What Matters. We've been talking about the brain and how the brain actually works. And, you know, we... We've talked about kind of the physical structure of the brain and some of the tendencies of the brain of where mood resides. Well, I want to talk about happiness and negativity because I think that's, you know, if we can understand that we really do have some ability to change things and create happiness, I think we have an obligation to then begin to create that. So here's just some, you know, basic truths about what we've studied, what we've learned in terms of happiness. First of all, experiences make people happier than possessions. So you know, we often buy things, go get things, want to have things, long for things, and yet it's not the things that make us happy, it's the experiences that actually create more lasting happiness. And experiences often involve connection with other people. So as you're considering, how are you happy? I bet if you begin to think back in your memory, the happy memories involved experiences, not things. We know that strong ties to friends and family increase levels of happiness. That's right. We need people. No matter what, we need people. And interestingly enough, age makes a difference. Older people tend to be more satisfied with their lives than younger people. And perhaps that, too, is about life experience, is about recognizing that the things don't matter and investing more time in the people and the experiences and therefore getting more satisfaction with the process of life. We also know that charitable actions increase levels of happiness, giving to others, helping others, being available to others, anything that involves charity, giving away, so whether that's giving money or giving your time or helping someone out, all of those increase your level of happiness. Now, I found something very interesting in the research. There's a genetic factor in happiness, and it seems to be pretty big. In fact, it seems that about 60% of the tendency to be a positive person, so your character makeup, who you are, is determined by genetics. Wow. So if you have happy genes you tend to be happier. And if you don't have the happy genes, you tend to be a little more moody. The remainder of happiness, as we define it, is learned through experience, emotions, and thought. Well, I've had an interesting observation As I work with, because I do work with different members of a family, and I do get to see the dynamics. And I also kind of get to see some glimmers of the genetics. And it's interesting to observe that just because you come from moody parents doesn't mean that you were made up to be moody. So don't assume that you have your family history of genetics in terms of your character, You still have a lot of power to create happiness by learning through experience, through controlling emotions, controlling thought, and changing your focus. Now, here's what I do want you to be aware of. We are hardwired for a negative bias. Have you noticed that, you know, you can, you can do a really awesome presentation. And everybody loves it. And one person says something like, nah, didn't really do it for me. And that's what you focus on. You know, you can create a beautiful painting and everybody loves it. Tells you how great you are. And one person says, I don't don't get it. And that's what you focus on. Have you ever noticed that about yourself? Well, you're not unique. We as people do that. Why? Because our brain is wired for survival. We're still very primitive creatures. And you see, in those basic, like when we, you know, face saber-toothed tigers, in that basic need for survival, our brains had to be attuned to threats, to negative kinds of things. Fear, anxiety, and anger were cues to prepare the body for fight or flight. So we actually had to be a little more sensitive to those kinds of issues, threats, challenges, dangers. We had to be more sensitive to those for survival purposes. Now, it's interesting because our body gets ready for fight or flight, before we actually consciously know that that's going on. So there's an instantaneous prep to get ready, be ready, and a little adrenaline goes into the system. The thinking part of the brain that I talked about earlier is a little slower in response. There's actually a a chemical kind of barrier that prevents the upper part of the brain from acting as quickly. And so that part has to kind of evaluate the actual risk. It's a little bit slower, and it we do have this momentary hesitation while that happens, and that's to keep us from running away from everything, okay? Every little shadow, every little crack, every little you – know, we weren't supposed to be constantly running away from things. So we do have this kind of negative bias already built in, The way that we manage that now is to recognize that our brain will be more likely to look for the negatives, that that's kind of our innate hardwiring. We can change that. You know, we're not stuck with our survival mechanisms. We have to keep them, yes, but we don't have to utilize them. So we can retrain the brain to look for more positive cues. But we have to do that consciously. You know that gratitude journal thing? Yeah, that's how you do it. When you begin to focus on the positives, when you look for the positives and you train your brain to look for the positives, you will begin to see more positives. So when I start out with a gratitude moment every time I do this program, there's a reason for that. I want you to train your brain to look for the sunshine, to look for the positives. When you exercise the logical side of your brain, remember, it's the left hemisphere of your brain, the logical side of your brain. You're actually expanding the capacity for positive emotions. So all this time, we thought you had to be more creative in order to be happy. Wrong wrong side of your brain. <laughs> Exercising the logical side of your brain, developing your capacity for logic, for reasoning, for problem-solving on the left hemisphere also expands your capacity for the happy, positive emotions. Okay, so you've got something to work on, don't you? Well, here is... Tip number eight, or truth number eight, after a life event, whether it's positive or negative, we generally return to the previous level of happiness within six months of that event. So, you know, it it is six months to two years. I do, do know that it, it ranges, but you know, within when someone gets married, they've been wanting to be married forever. They have this wonderful event and in about two years, they're back to their baseline level of happiness, whatever that was before that event. Someone wins the lottery, it's actually even shorter. It's about six months. Um, but, you know, we dream about that. We anticipate that. We think that's going to be so wonderful. Yeah, we actually are wired to overestimate um, the feeling uh, that we anticipate And in the case of a negative event, we also underestimate our resilience or our ability to cope with a challenging situation. I loved it. There was a quote in the the magazine that I worked from, from Daniel Kahneman. He's a psychologist. And he said, nothing in life is quite as important as you think it is while you are thinking about it. So in other words, we... We think things are so important, and I always joked because I always thought that was just kind of a teenager thing because I worked with adolescents for so long. But actually, people in general think that something is, you know, we do that. We just think it's so important, and then when it actually happens, a lot of times, you know, we're disappointed because the anticipation of it is actually more exciting to us. Than the actual event, what you need to understand is the brain naturally returns to its usual state of equilibrium, even with the most devastating crisis, eventually that fades as the brain takes in new experiences. So the brain always kind of goes back to its basic state of equilibrium, wherever that is, and in generating a more positive kind of approach, we have to practice and train the brain. That's the, that's the bottom line here. We also have those wonderful mirror neurons that activate whenever we see someone else in an emotional state. So if we see someone in distress, it activates our mirror neurons and causes us to experience similar feelings. That's why sad movies make us cry. Okay, I have friends who say that commercials make me cry. But you get what I mean. You know, when you see someone in an emotional state, generally your mirror neurons reflect that same emotional state. Okay, we have more to go. I want to talk some more about how thinking and movement and some of the things that we still have to understand about the human brain and our own brains. You're listening to the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. Think
1: you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatori. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, Noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready to make a change in your life? Would you like to discover the hidden obstacles to your success? Visit LastingLifestyleChange.com to request more information or a free consultation. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to What Matters with Mary Beth Lodge. To be a part of our discussion on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to marybethlodge at gmail.com. Now, back to What Matters.
0: Good morning. Thank you for joining me this morning. We've been talking about brain things, how your brain works, and how you can make your brain work for your benefit. And we've talked about happiness, we've talked about our negative bias, we've talked about how to compensate for our negative bias, and also the fact that our brain is designed for equilibrium, that it likes to go to a place of balance. Now, I know we've talked about this before, I'm going to just reinforce it. Thinking about a movement or an activity will activate both the thought area and the motor area of the brain, even in the absence of actual movement. So in other words, you can think about walking through your house, and if we were scanning your brain and watching for the areas of your brain that became active as you thought about walking, both the motor area, the actual movement area, and the thought area would become active. So... It follows the same pattern of activation. When you practice a skill mentally, you actually improve your physical skill. So if there's something that you're learning and it requires a physical action, just imagine yourself doing that physical action and you are strengthening the neuronal pathways for that physical action. Going beyond that, truth number ten physical touch develops the cerebral cortex of the infant. So in other words, we need, an infant has to have touch for their proper development. But you know, it's not just the infant that needs touch. Please hear me, adults need touch. We do not do well without touch. That's why when we have animals and we pet those animals, our blood pressure goes down. The the benefits of massage, I mean, the list is, is infinite. Massage, just physical overall body massage, will diminish the symptoms of diabetes and hyperactivity. It improves immunity in HIV patients. It relieves pain from migraine and many other areas, other types of pain. It will ease that tightness in the asthmatics, breathing, It increases mental focus for children with attention deficit disorders. And in touch, in massage, in physical touch, the brain actually will lower the levels of the two stress-related hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. Physical touch is crucial to our health. Crucial. A hug, a handshake, massage, just basic touch. Here's the interesting thing that I just found hysterically funny. Do you know that you can't tickle yourself? Do you know why? Because your brain knows what you're doing, and so it anticipates the touch. We can't trick ourselves into tickling ourselves, so we can't make ourselves laugh by tickling. We have to make ourselves laugh in other ways. The thing that I found really fascinating as we're doing this whole thing about massage, we're talking about massage and how necessary massage is and touch Do you know where the least amount of touch receptors are in your body? In your back. And yet it's the back we always want rubbed. Oh, rub my back. Oh, it feels so good. Why do we want our backs rubbed? That's that's where our fewest touch receptors are. So that's actually true. We can feel gross touch, large touch, but we can't pinpoint a very small area because we don't have the number of touch receptors there that we have in most other parts of our body. Now, in our last couple of minutes, I want to talk about something else, also related to brain, called the illusion of control. We have this ability to attach ourselves to things as if we could control the outcome, even when we have absolutely no ability to control the outcome. Okay, so The illustration in the book was a great one. It's, you know, let's say that at work, your, your work is gonna do a raffle. Everybody puts a dollar in, 200 people buy tickets, and whoever wins is gonna get the whole amount of $200. Okay, so you pick a number that is significant to you. Maybe the two numbers of your, your birthday, the month and day of your birthday, or the three numbers, whatever. And so you get that ticket. Somebody else gets a different ticket. They come to you and they say, would you trade your ticket for mine? And you say no. Now, you have an an attraction, an attachment to this number. But the actual odds for winning are the same for all the numbers. Your number isn't any more lucky than the other one. And it would make no difference if you traded in terms of the odds. But your brain has created an illusion of control for something that you have absolutely no influence over. Isn't that interesting? We do that all the time. We do that because our brain likes to believe that we have control. We have that need within ourselves. So how often do you do this in your life How often do you attach yourself to something that doesn't really matter, only because it gives you a sense of feeling like you can control an outcome? You see, when we come into conflict with something, we actually will alter our own memories and perceptions. The brain does this unconsciously without our even knowing about it. And the only people that will notice it are people who observe us and know us over time if we are if we behave in a way that is incongruent with a previous value that we've held we will alter our memory of the previous thing rather than say oh this was wrong and i can't resolve what i just did we'll alter our memory that has a lot of implications for how we adjust ourselves to things that don't make sense to us. We actually do alter our perception over time. That's okay. That's normal. That's human. Just understand that's what we do. So our memories aren't always accurate. We alter our memories to make them fit into our structure, our values, and our beliefs. Okay, we've talked a whole bunch about the brain. This morning, we've talked about how the brain works. I want to go back over and talk about the things you can do to keep your brain healthy and to keep you happy. Exercise, yes, you got to do it. A little bit, a lot, it doesn't really matter. Get that circulation going. Eat well, you know to do this. Challenge your mind, work hard, make yourself think, make yourself do something that you don't ordinarily do learn, decide on something you want to know about, take a course, study a new skill, do something so that you are learning every single day. And focus, focus your attention on the positives. Expand the logical part of your brain and focus on the positives that are in your life. We're back to gratitude one more time. What are you grateful for? How do you reflect that gratitude as sunshine in your world? Are you happy today? It's a choice that you have. You can create happiness within yourself by making connections with other people today. Touch someone's life today. It's important. What you do matters. What you do makes a difference. So rather than going through the day unconscious, be conscious. Be aware. Know that you make a difference and make a decision to make a difference in your world today. So I want you now. This is your challenge and you know I always give you this challenge Today is your day to make it a great day. You deserve it.
1: Thanks again for joining us for What Matters. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll help you continue to make a
0: difference next week.